Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. It's time to remember this crap with Mike Donahue. Mike, how are you? Doing good, Andy. Yourself? Oh, I've never, ever been better. I can't wait no. to spin the wheel and see who we get this time. We're down to just all the great Cub teams. No, one. At no, least. Matter, no matter what, so, anything to take my mind off a team that's lost, what, 12 out of 14, 13, about to be 13 out of 15? It's very hard to find a team worse than the one that's playing now. Uh, <laughs> so apparently Prevagen has a segment during Cub games where they uh, they hearken back to a great moment in Cub history. And I saw tonight's, and I hope I hope all those elderly people took their Prevagen like they were Tic Tacs, which Dad. they are. Um, <laughs> you had to go all the way back to May 16th, 2000. And 22. Wow. <laughs> 34 days ago when Wilson Contreras hit his 100th home run. It's like, you're not even, oh. you guys aren't even trying. It's, Where were you six weeks ago? I don't, remember, I don't remember how old I was back then. I mean, you asked a question about something that recent and you immediately get defensive. I probably would remember more about, uh, like, Oh, I remember. I remember Dave Ross's hundredth home run. That happened in his final season as a Cub. Was that late in the fifteenth season or during the World Series season of the Suns? Oh, oh shit! I think no, it was late in fifteen. Maybe fifteen. He was so bad we, in we fifteen. He was was he? terrible. Was he? Oh, I don't yeah. recall. He was awful. Okay. And I remember thinking, why are they keeping his old ass around for sixteen? Because of Lester. And as much as I, he's not one of my favorite Cubs. He, it's no. amazing. Like if you watch that 2016, the, the video, he's in the middle of everything. Like all year a, long. It's like, a all right, fine. Off. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And but, he, you know, I think was, where it was, did we break it down about the Cleveland game? I mean, really he kind of extended it in a sense. Like oh, yeah, I wrote it. We had talked about it, but then I you, wrote it up when man got yeah. fired. I basically said, all right, look, I, all, I, you, all you assholes who think Joe almost lost the world series. The guy, there was a Cub manager who almost lost the World Series, but it's the current one, not the former yeah. one. I will say that had uh, Ross not come back to manage and just be sort of deflatingly uh, disappointing, really, because you, you assume catchers are, you know, on, in some areas, he obviously knows that the freaking game's been around it, but he just does some mystifying things. Had he not come back, then my estimation of David Ross would be much, much higher, of course, if it, you know, the man who hit a home run. Uh, in his last official at bat, not played appearance, of course, but at bat in the World Series for the Cubs in Game Seven. I right. mean, you know, yeah, because uh, actually he had another clutch moment. Um, he walked, correct, to lead off the, the ninth, the ninth right? inning, and you know the, the Cubs didn't score. But the reason it was clutch was then he wasn't around in the tenth to catch a Roldis. Yep, or to drive in the State Farm insurance run. Because, as we know, uh, Ross caught 34 pitches in the playoffs of a Roldis Chapman. And he called a fucking fastball every single time. And Miggy made him throw a slider because a Roldis was gassed. And he got through, what was it? Jason Kipnis. Uh, Kipnis was one. Carlos Santana uh, and Francisco Lindor. Yeah. Where any one hit or when you only one home run and the world series is lost. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, I don't even like, I, I tremble at the thought. So, uh, so anyway, um, so this week, uh, I 
It's going to be the third week in a row without a baseball podcast with Dave Brown. Where's Dave? Um, he's uh, he's at an indisclo- he's on an, uh, an undisclosed location. Hanging out with Liz Cheney's. He will uh, be back. He's, he's not been fired. Okay, good. But I have a special I, I guest. There's going okay. to be a Cub centric, uh, which the fans were asking for it. Oh, who wouldn't um, line up for that? Sammy Sosa. Okay. Yes. Hey, buddy. At least I think so. Somebody DM me on uh, uh, Twitter and said, "Hey, it's Sammy Sosa. I want to come on your podcast." I said, "Fine." So Sammy's coming on tomorrow. We're going to talk about. Are uh, you sure it wasn't Ryan Dempster? Mm, okay, I'm just asking. Sammy's Twitter handle is Dempster Foundation, right? Uh, I will. Say, I will say that I've enjoyed listening to your podcast with Dave because it doesn't spend too much time on the Cubs. Uh, Dave's got, you know, he's in kind of a national reporter, so he has to keep tabs on the teams and you do too. So uh, for me, at least I, I, as little attention as I pay to the Cubs, it, it helps to know what's going on, you know, in the rest of the league. So I, I do I, enjoy that, was, that. Listen, that was the idea, but, but every now and then right. it's good it to is. sort of, maybe just, especially when they're this bad, every now you wouldn't want to do this every week. I no. just focus on well, the we Cubs. did. And then uh, Sam and, Everybody got tired right. of listening to me saying <laughs> they're the standing on the ledge of their apartment Bucktown, and yeah, you know. So, yes, well, occasionally we'll veer back into what the fuck is wrong with the Cubs, and that'll be uh, the next podcast after this one. But I look for I look this one. We we worry about what the fuck was wrong with old Cubs teams, not the current one. We wax nostalgic. Someday we'll look back on the 2022 Cubs and go, remember how fucking terrible they were. Do you remember how long they played Jason Hayward for? Yeah. Do you remember a guy named Matt Swarmer? No, of course right. you don't. Yeah. Yeah, like the, the coterie of like rookie-ish thirty-year-olds, which itself just seems to never escape me. How bizarre that seems. Just the whole and how soon it was after the World Series. Yeah, there'll be plenty of history to rich history to mine there. For we'll leave it to some future enterprising minds. All right, so we are going to spin the wheel of crap and find a year that we can break down from everyone's excitement. See if we can find one that's worse than this year's sort of headed. It's possible with what's left. There are some stinkers out there. Oh, I didn't share it, so you didn't get to see it. Oh, you're, did you spin it without me? So it's right on the line. And we're going to talk about the 2002 Chicago Cubs. Woo. So we got you got five quick things about the sure. 2002 Cubs. See if I can go in chronological order because I'll always remember that uh, new free agent signee Moises Alou pulled his hamstring by standing in the outfield during batting practice. What kind of shape he was, that was in? Wasn't that at the during the opener in Cincinnati? Correct. So all of a sudden, we're all excited. I was still taking days off of work and opening day. That's how geeked I was. Life hadn't gotten too serious. And all excited to see Moises Alou. But what the fuck is a Roosevelt Brown? And why is it in the opening day lineup? So, yeah, that season got off to a rough start uh, there. Um, and, and, you know, goodbye, Don Baylor, within a few months. Hello, Bruce Kim. I'm sure we can hash that over uh, for a while. Opening day starter uh, was our guy, John Lieber, coming off a 21 season. Um, but at one point, he, uh, I believe, well, he, you know, he threw a lot of innings and uh, he, he was kind of done after that 21 season. But for good measure, Baylor, I believe, did have uh, in a game in May 
perhaps uh, have Lieber pitch both sides of a rain delay that consisted of about two and a half hours or something. Uh, that didn't help. That didn't help John's uh, trajectory. But uh, also in 2002, Mark Bellhorn. Holy shit. Who is this guy? Uh, gave us hope for an otherwise terrible team. Uh, new free agent signee Chris Steins uh, pissed hmm. off reporters early on. Sucked ass. He did deliver. A big hit off of Billy Wagner, one of the few times I remember the Cubs coming back in Billy on the Thursday before Memorial Day. Probably the only thing Chris Steins did in 2002. Uh, but that's your 2002 Cubs in very piecemeal form. Uh, two other things to re- uh, remember about Chris Steins. Do you remember he had a a little person that lived in his mouth? Do you remember this? That was Ryan Friel. The late Ryan Friel, right? No. Or do the Cubs have multiple guys? Oh, wait. Well, you no, you're right. Far- it is Ryan Friel. Farney? You're right. That was Farney. Okay, sorry. Ooh, I almost killed Chris Steins. <laughs> right. I Ryan believe Chris Friel Steins. shot himself. That's right. Very Ryan much Friel. alive. Yeah, Chris yeah. Steins, the old Red Sox, right? Red, uh, possibly Red Sox. Yeah, I think of him more as a Red. I, I, also I can picture a squatty little fucker. Your good I, friend, next time, you, next time you have a beer with your good friend Paul Sullivan, if you can remember to... Uh, ask about Chris Stein because I I remember Sully was a little bit red assed over Chris Stein pulling some shit in the clubhouse uh, to the reporter. So he was, I guess, not really maybe a pleasant guy. Uh, just kind of a part time red and was supposed to fill, I don't know what the fuck void uh, for the Cubs. Not really an everyday player, but whatever it was supposed to be, he sucked at it. A lot of people sucked. That's why Baylor lost his job. So, you know, the 2002 Cubs um, were the. The the 0-1 Cubs have been this surprise contender. Mm -hmm. And they put the finishing touches on this team going into 0-2. So they could, you know, uh, catch the Cardinals and the Astros. It worked out great. But do you remember the the late spring training trade that the Cubs made in 2002? It was a big one. Late spring training. Was it Antonio Alfonseca involved? Yes. So Matt Clement, Matt Clement, and gave up Alfonseca, and I think there was. Uh... We gave up Dontrell, who even prospect perverts at the time probably didn't have too much of a line on, because uh, he had never pitched above like rookie ball or a. Yeah. Um, I'm struggling to think who else though was dealt because it was there was a major leaguer that the Cubs. Oh, yes. So the trade was Matt Clement and Antonio Alfonseca for Jose Cueto, Ryan Jorgensen, Julian Tavares, oh. and Don Trail Willis. I don't know if we gave Julian his propers when we about, we did cover the 2001 Cup. We'll be circling back to it tonight to provide context, but it was, uh, I think the, the way we summarized it was it was the first team that was legitimately in contention in September in our lifetime that didn't actually close the deal that faded faded out and they had good pitching uh the first good starting pitching good relieving the first four months Lieber Wood Tappany was still hanging in there I believe we discovered Jason Beret had a nice bounce back and Julian Tavares hothead though he was uh was not a bad pitcher in all anyway like 10 and 8 or something like that uh pretty steady Julian weird yeah, Julian looked like he put a grease fire out with his face. Good. And <laughs> he's he went on some homophobic rant. Do you remember that? There's, there's that too. That, you know, I do remember in, that. 
with Cub fans and in Wrigleyville, it really didn't go over real great. He was a former Giant for for Dusty. Right, Dusty, of course, still managing the Giants in 02. In fact, Dust, this is Dusty's World Series season. But yeah. Julian came from the Giants, correct? I believe he. Uh, but yeah, he kind of he kind of rounded out this rotation that. Uh, yeah, I guess you you know I take so many so much opportunity to take shots at Andy McPhail that I, I guess he had deserved some credit. If not, it was completely Jim Henry behind the scenes, but piecing together that rotation, but not meant to be. And the other thing to think about with 2001 was how ridiculous uh, of a one man show it was with Sammy. Yeah. Who was not so, getting any younger. So and, Julian, yeah. yes, had been a, he broke in with the, with the now guardians, the Indians. And then he did play for dusty from 97 to two to 99 he pitched for don baylor in 2000 with the rockies which is probably why the cubs no baylor was still the cub that was his first year as the cubs manager so he might have been uh oh that's right they were been, terrible in 2000 then they were good Jim then Leland he got cigarette that's box. right yeah. one wasn't his first season um okay so he must have got good uh i got a recommendation for julian yes um yes. he no, pitched Bell. he played 17 years in the big leagues and his what? career record was 88 and 82. <laughs> not a lot of decisions there for Julian. Yeah, not bad. I'm impressed he made it to 09. So Don Trell, you're right, had only pitched. Oh, I just lost it. Um, I don't. I don't think he was on anyone's radar. He may. I mean, he had success, but he had pitched for the in 2000. He pitched for the Arizona Rookie League team for the Cubs and in 2001 he pitched in the Northwest League in Boise which isn't even a full season league he was 8 and 2 with a 298 yeah. ERA um sure how old uh he was he was 20 when the Cubs traded him and they immediately yeah. went to okay. he went to Kane County yeah, because that was the affiliate right. of the Marlins, and went ten and two with a one eighty three ERA. Got promoted to the Florida State League and went two yeah. and zero with a one eighty ERA. And then by oh three, he was pitching in the big leagues. It's kind of nuts. And in the playoffs <sighs> against the Cubs, and not well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got lit up, uh, and every time he showed his face. So there's that. Uh, but he won a ring. That is kind of crazy thing about Matt Clement, who himself was a very highly touted uh, San Diego Padre prospect, uh, matriculated to the Marlins, had a nice year in 02, if memory serves, and had a nice year in 03. It was, you know, it was hard to, you know, it's not exactly like, you know, trading Josh Donaldson, who six years later develops, but, you know, nobody really knew that Willis was legit and, and Clement was good. And Clement was a solid number four in the 03 Cubs until he couldn't sack it up and come in to pitch on short days rest. But, but he was otherwise an innings eater and, you know, very at effective. some point right. in 2002, Andy McPhail bragged that much maligned farm system had produced two rookies of the year. They were Eric Hinsky. And Dontrell Willis. It's like, Andy, does it count if they win Rookie of the Year for a different organization? What a way so to Dontrell brag about the, all your Don, prospects. Oh, you should see the guys we trade to other teams. They're amazing. So Dontrell was the subsequent year's Rookie of the Year in the National League? Yeah, 2002. I must have known that at one point. And 2 uh, Hensky won it in the American League. 
Well, Hinsky probably uh, won before then, right? I thought he won it no too. Somehow oh, I'm, I'm right. like getting my yep. my you're synapses right. so back to back. The, oh, the Cubs went back to back. Or different leagues. Hinsky in 02, Dontrell in 03. Yeah. Well, in Hinsky, you know who the Cubs got for Hinsky? I don't know why I remember this, but I want to say Scott Chason. I do, I, do you have to pronounce it with that French affect like I, I just did? Who, it's know. worse than that. They oh. uh, traded for Miguel Cairo. Miguel Cairo, second time around. Like there was Miguel Cairo, the young prospect that came up in 97 and the Devil Rays plucked in the expansion draft and he did okay. Comes around. Yeah, this was the okay. 01, right? When they um, yeah. they tried to they tried to sneak him through waivers and the Cardinals grabbed him. That's that? right. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned that before. Somehow I was not clear on those details, but so that was so a, that was a great okay. trade for the Cubs. Yeah, we got to get Cairo back. But so why did I think of Scott Chason? That's just something that I fabricated. Because you just like to say the name, right? Somehow I had him linked with Eric Hinsky. Let's see what the Cubs traded for Scott Chason. And Chason, hey kids, this might be relevant. Pretty sure Chason was in the uh, on the two thousand two Cubs. The oh the uh, Cubs took him in the Rule Five draft in two thousand. Okay. They never traded him for anybody because they okay basically they released him four years all in my head somehow this nebulous Scott Chase and Eric well I don't Hinsky. know there was an, he had been an A so maybe you yeah it's fine the two somehow either way but hey it the Hinsky thing worked out for the Cubs they brought him back. Um, as their what assistant hitting coach is that what he was on the World Series team when he was I think so. 100 pounds b- bigger than he had been that was great but he gets to he got to jump up and down on the field with everybody so way to go Eric there's that well I think another if I could throw in a six fun fact just random popped into my head because I saw his face want to say it's the first time in his career that Curry would did not miss a start so and it was like, okay, we're all holding our breaths. This guy was, always got hurt. But he made 33 starts. One more than Matt Clement. Hinsky um, wasn't really that good. Right. Now, it's like funny that he won Rookie of the Year, but it doesn't mean shit. It's, it's almost like season. our friend Bob Hamlin. His rookie right. season was his best year. It's like a Joe Charbonneau, Bob Hamlin, you know. He was league average he, or below. Most of his seasons in the big leagues, a couple of good years he had, he was a, he was a part-time player. So, whatever. Yeah. Well, so much for Eric Hinsky. Um, Cubs had a big big addition to their bullpen. A guy who had made an emergency start for them the year before, and then he would go on to be. A key member okay. of the 2003 Cubs. Let me, uh, so there's a connection here where Carlos Zambrano got, we talked to one where a young baby face Zambrano came up the same week as Juan Cruz. Both made their debuts against the Brewers. Uh, Cruz was a little bit more polished and Zambrano looked really good though. 
But, you know, he had that attitude. Let's also bear in mind that the Cubs pitching coach during this time was Oscar Acosta. Yeah. Who, to his credit, completely took Will Omen to shreds because mm-hmm. that cock was walking around like he was, you know, uh, the glibest guy around. Uh, but he also wasn't very kind to um, uh, to Carlos Zambrano. And I, apparently I, it felt like Zambrano kind of was strutting around like he was going to make the team. It looked like he did. He had it wrapped up, and he got – just lit up in his last appearance in Mesa. And so at the last minute, he got sent down to start the 0-2 season, and that basically threw a lifeline to Borowski, the guy who was most famous for the previous September, as you say, uh, in a scorching August uh, Saturday afternoon with Barry Bonds in the midst of his roid rage, uh, just sweat just pouring off the brim of his cap. That's when he – But Borowski, I would say, he, he became sweaty <laughs> from the very beginning. Yeah, and, But he seized the opportunity, I want to say. I'm trying to pull up Borowski's numbers. Yeah, he pitched in 73 games in 0-2. 95 uh, in the two-thirds innings, a 273 ERA. Uh, he only had two saves because six-fingered fat bastard, you know, they had to justify trading for Alfonseca. So he was the titular closer. Uh, but Borowski set himself up quite nicely uh, for the subsequent season when the opportunity arose, when Alfonseca just obviously proved that he couldn't. And I guess the, the nice, um, you know, end of the story is that Zambrano did get called up after doing his penance in the minors and, you know, earned his way back up and became a very effective reliever, I want to say, in 02 down the stretch and then went into the bullpen or it went into the rotation uh, in 03. And if I look it up, I'll see that Zabrano did start 16 games, but he also pitched in 32. So, and yeah, decent numbers. He's ended up throwing 108 innings. So I, I would be willing to bet that uh, a lion's share of Carlos's innings came from August and September. And he was only 21 years old too. So he's almost threw as many innings as prior that year. Prior yeah. If you enter that, there was a, Somewhat significant debut. I was a little bit all over the map there. Let's let's unpack so, some. Well, I brought up Sweaty Joe because um, when they put him in the bullpen in 02, there were uh, some fans, me, was not all that excited to see Joe because our only exposure to him had been in August. He literally made an emergency start, came up from Iowa. Um, the Cubs were clinging to a one and a half game lead in the wild card over That's Houston, right. and I think two maybe over the Giants. And they were playing the Giants. That's pretty good recall. It sounds about right. Tracks. Um, and Joe proceeded. Yeah, ooh, to actually, things were really bunched. Okay, so the Cubs had a. They were leading the wild card. Um, oh wait, no, this has the other. What's the date? What's the date on this? Mid August. I know I was golfing in DeKalb that day. Well, they were leading the division. They had the best record in the National League. <sighs> 66 and 49. Game and a half over the Astros. You mix in the, like, the Diamondbacks were leading the West, but the Dodgers were two behind. The Giants were two behind. The Phillies were okay. two and a half behind. Atlanta. So all these teams fighting for. Um, and in this season, in which, how I say, the Cubs had very good production from all five of their starters, apparently didn't have much depth. Well, who knows? Maybe rainouts. Maybe there was just a bunch of games piled up on each other. But Sweaty Joe came up, and he was going to make this start. And uh, he got through the first okay. But in the uh, second inning, he struggled a little bit. 
gave up six runs, including a three-run homer to Barry Bonds that 21 years later has still not landed. <laughs> it's gone into orbit. It's it's orbiting over the north side of Chicago somewhere. Yeah, it's got a path. So, so, not, Con- so not a fan, not, not, a, so not like, a favorable first Like, impression. oh, look at this asshole's back. Right, And right. he turned into one of the most beloved Cub relievers of all time. Of all time. And you know, and he did it under the away from the spotlight in 02. I think maybe I I had kind of forgotten the extent to which he really he just went to work in 02 now for a shitty team, right? With a bunch of shitty attitudes like Alou and McGriff, who were like high fiving when they were you know not having to play, according to some reporter. Joe um, Browski is from Bayonne, New Jersey. Yeah, he was uh, he's Chuck Webner's kid. Is that right? No, that's probably not. It's right. Chuck Webner. The boxer, the Bayonne Bomber, right? Did I get that right? Maybe. Fought Ali. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, you know, he fit. Uh, Bayonne, if I'm not mistaken, is very blue collar. I think Joe comes from a family of firefighters, maybe. He fit right in in Chicago, right? Like, honorary, uh, automatic honorary you Chicago. Imagine. His name's Browse. Imagine what sweats a lot. What best friends Joe Borowski and Kyle Schwarber would have been. <laughs> they just spent all their time. You'd have had to have like right. gone over and pried them off the fire trucks across the lunch street. On the ladder. Couldn't right. start the game until you got those two to come back. Do you know who draft? Which team drafted Joe Borowski? Was it the Braves? White Sox? It was the White Sox. Okay, and that rattling around in there. He made a rapid uh, you know, ascent. Gave- a rapid ascent to the big leagues. Uh, he got drafted in 1989. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Although he had pitched, he made he pitched for the he made it to the big leagues the first time in '95 for the for the Orioles. So it did. Well, okay. But still, he hadn't really established himself 12 years later until wow. until he did with the Cubs, and then he had. Uh, is the best years of his career, and he basically blew his arm out in doing it. Right? Yes. Is that a fair characterization? Oh, I don't. Because I'm, I'm, st- I'm still, st- I'm still staring at his O2 numbers. That's a fin- that's a yeoman's work, really. Two seventy three ERA, ninety five and two thirds inning for a shitty team. Finished twenty five games. Um, and then, and then just totally, we've already covered it. O three, we gave Joe his due, but just to reiterate. Elevated when they needed him to, because it's like fuck, we can't trust Alfonso. And he did even better. He didn't pitch as many innings because he was the closer, but his ERA went down tenth of a point. Yeah, Thirty-three saves. And then yeah, oh four. God bless him, Jesus. He kept like dragging his dead arm out to the mound as late as oh eight for the for the tribe. He actually had forty. I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm selling him short. He had four. He led the league with forty-five saves in oh seven. Did you remember that? Over a sweaty Joe. No. Damn. No. I, I totally missed the narrative. Yeah. I, I missed the narrative on that, man. Good for him. I don't pay attention to the American League in my defense uh, nearly as much as I do or ever have in the National League. But, you know, he did not necessarily give his, the last of his arm to the Cubs. He mm-hmm. was awesome there. Must have, you know, he got hurt, got it reconstructed, whatever. Yeah. And I he saved. Uh, 81 games over two seasons for the Marlins and Indians, 06, 07. I do remember pitching for the Indians. I I do not remember that 36-save season with the Marlins. Yeah. Those are his two best-save seasons. 
hey, that's why I like doing this. I'm not afraid to admit that I didn't know the Joe. I thought I knew Joe Borowski. I guess it's just more contained with his life with the Cubs that that sort of developed. So I'm happy. I'm happy to see that. I Joe looks like he's got the full pension. Hopefully, he was able to put away a lot of that money. Probably got a nice deal there. Got maybe snookered somebody in uh, even after the forty-five save season. Uh, yeah, I think we want, we want to talk about the superstar rookie and his um, his major league debut. And by that, of course, we're talking about Hesop Choi. In 02, September, right? Hesop, um, the going to be the Cub first baseman for a decade, and he made his debut on yep September third. As a pinch hitter yep. against the Brewers at Wrigley Field in a 10-1 win. And he struck out. Uh, when did he get That's his first shame. hit? Uh, against the Cardinals in St. Louis. That a boy, he said. Well, it was his first home run. Yeah, and it was also yeah, his first better. hit. Just like Jorge Soler. Kind of. So, McGriff was the opening day first baseman, right? For the only time. I don't you know, know that we need to see anything more about his, I mean, he got off to a horrible start in 02. It was, it was just, when I think of the 02 Cubs, I think about how uh, we did have hope for those prospects, although it was a little bit dispiriting and maybe concerning to get an entire full season of Corey Patterson before he was like, you know, ready. Cause I think Corey, Corey had over what? 500 at bats. 628 plate appearances, 284 on base. I mean, he was he was 22, but you know, I think starting to get a little bit concerned. But again, it was a team that was coming up in retrospect. You know, Sammy carried them, and they had you know great you know uh, career years out of some pitchers. But you know, they did bring McGriff along, even though he faded. They signed Moises. They uh, they picked up this Alex Gonzalez who had a great glove and couldn't hit yeah. except like when there was a chance to like end a game with a walk off homer because I think he did that three times in O two. Uh, but from opening day, it's just like Alou. I, that's why I always was bitter. Um, like I'll give Alou his propers because he bounced back in O three, but I was just enraged by you know like he came as a free agent and he was just out of shape. Um, it was so bad that I would actually suggest uh, I can point you. It won't, the game itself won't matter. I certainly hardly remember it, but it was the Friday afternoon Cubs-Sox game. I was particularly revved up, Andy, as I said, about the first, second, or third row of the left field bleachers. And I I couldn't remember all the things that I said, but I just would not relent on, on Moises for basically just gold-bricking it up until that point. And he was pissed. Like, I don't care either. But like people are telling me, dude, he's kind of, you know, he's kind of looking over, like getting annoyed. And I'm just like, no quarter zone. I was saying all kinds of meat bullshit. You don't have any heart. Show up here. You, you take the money. I was just so mad because the, the season just went sideways from the beginning. It was supposed to be a good season. They won yeah. 87 or whatever games the year before. Kerry Wood made, didn't miss a start. Uh, we got, you know, we, we got a contribution from Mark Bellin, but McGriff was a dog. Alou was a dog. And it just, 
it cost Baylor his job. It was just misery. It was just one of the, I don't know how you'd rank it in that sort of a context where uh, it was just not fun really from the beginning. We got some relief when, when Don Baylor got fired. And I think, and I'm pretty sure we could find it, but yeah, Bruce Kim immediately went on like a five game winning streak, which echoed the history of Jim Essien, uh, who did the same thing when he stepped in. But I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. I just, it just came back to a Lou and, uh, uh, how disappointing he was that entire and McGriff, the two of those guys, they they, they could have led by example, but I don't know why you, I don't know why you think that Fred got off to a bad start in April. He slugged two eighty nine. That's pretty good. It's funny. So if you look at his stats in Oh one and Oh two for the Cubs, they're good. Um, of course that's McGriff's trick, right? They're very hollow in Oh two. With that terrible start and basically helping bury the Cubs right away. Exactly. He ended up, he hit 273, he slugged 505, he hit 30 homers and drove in 103 runs. Incredible numbers, man. You look at the, I didn't catch, the, you said the OPS or on base, uh, 30 homers though. Jeez. In 01, he gets to the Cubs with them still in the race and doesn't, he comes up with chances to win games. He doesn't do shit. Except hit that one double off of uh, that submarining lefty Mike Myers when Steve McMichael threatened uh, Angel Hernandez. But, but that's the only- when you look at his numbers in 49 games with the Cubs that year, 12 homers, 41 RBIs, 942 OPS. So I'm always reminded of that when people are like, oh, he has to be in the Hall of Fame. It's like, nah, we, we had the Fred McGriff experience. It's all numbers and it's no like impact. You could say that our sample size was small. And you can't necessarily just extrapolate that. Maybe he had meaningful hits through the years with the Braves, the Blue Jays, the Padres. I mean, he played everywhere. Um, I just it just seemed very hollow, like you said. That's and he the has, word for it. And I, I shudder to think if these really mattered or not. But he has really good uh, playoff numbers: three hundred three, three eighty five, five thirty two, ten homers, thirty seven RBIs in fifty games. Right, he won a World Series with the with the Braves. Yep, and that was a huge trade. That and that was the only. Uh, well, they got him midway through the '93 trade. The Braves did. You remember that? And then the press box blew up on fire. It was on fire. Yeah. As soon as McGriff got there, and they were like 15 games behind the Giants and Barry Bonds and Dusty, and they eventually ran him down. Uh, the Braves themselves, of course, got knocked out by the Phillies in that that year's LCS. But the story was how they ran. Both teams won over 100 games, but the Braves were way back. Giants got off to a huge start in Dusty's first year. Braves got McGriff. That was the big deadline deal, and they got hot and ran the Giants without the Giants slumping. You know, it wasn't a Cubs Mets. And but yeah, McGriff stuck around. He's on the you know he was on the only Atlanta Braves World Series team prior to last year, so. And again, I refer you to the Harold Baines principle. If Harold's in, then you can might as well put McGriff in. Um, I've got a fun game to point to you. If you can pull up the the Cubs schedule in O two, can I refer you to the events of Saturday, June twenty second? Yeah. Um, can you find the game there? No, <laughs> so if you look, it's hard to find look, the you game. See, you see Friday, June twenty first, and then oh, Sunday, June twenty third. Must have been a what must happened? have been a rainout. Andy, what happened? Yeah, must have been a rainout. Uh, I distinctly remember uh, watching the game and or watching the coverage of the game. And 
Um, all of a sudden, the the Cubs and the Cardinals were coming out out of the field, and Joe Girardi had a microphone. Well, first of all, the game was delayed. The start yeah, of the game, right. there was no broadcast of the game. The pregame that is what you were watching, right? The pregame, right? Because they never started the actual game. And um, all and I think we, I believe what Joe said was due to a tragedy in the Cardinals' family. The game has been postponed. And they found out later that Daryl Kyle was found tits up in a Chicago hotel room. The downtown Hilton where most opposing teams play. Yeah, I'm there. sure that's the Mount room Badger that um, sell. That's the room they gave me for the Cub Convention every year after that. <laughs> no, not the Chicago Hilton and Towers. Not the Kitty O'Shea's or the other side. Oh, the not room. the Hilton and Towers. Or maybe it's the Westin. The Westin. It's uh, right It's right there by Marina City. That's where the, a lot of them put. That's the hotel, though. Um, I went to the game the next day. It was on Sunday night baseball. And I have to say at the time to me, it, this seemed weird, but I dare not say anything because, you know, I don't want to draw stairs, but they played the game without Gary Presti on the organ yeah. and without, cause this is uh, what year? 2002. So this is pre 2006 bleacher configuration. It was still, the only accessory to the original scoreboard was that the like, rectangular digital, you know, who's up and whatnot underneath there with only, so, you know, in like the center 40% of the, you know, the width of the scoreboard, that thing was turned off. And like the ball, and like, 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 how are we honoring Derek? Was Derek, was he an Amish? Derek always hated message boards. Right. In his honor, we're turning it off. Right. Yeah. It wasn't electricity because it was a night game. So you had to have the lights on. Right. Uh, Weren't the, light, the lights like, were dim, though, right? They were like, like only half. <laughs> couldn't fly, the, the, the flags were at half mast and the light field. bulbs were at half power. But, yeah. <laughs> in, honor, was, in honor of Terrell. It didn't, like, I didn't want to be disrespectful, so I didn't really wonder aloud, but I'm at the game. It's a nice night. The Cubs won, I believe. I, uh, I think they beat Jason Simon Tachi, or am I off on my errors? Anyway, uh, they did. I remember that. Uh, but I just I just thought, okay, fine. I guess we don't have music between innings. And, you know, they didn't really even do music. They weren't even pumping in music in 02. It was all Gary. But now Gary Gary got the night off, I think. So, you know, maybe he well, was. not all just, Gary. Were they still, with 02? Still playing jump before games? Uh, that came and went. So it, they had an A45, then it left, and it came back. Came so back. I don't know I don't the history of that. Back. Yeah, it was. So, but yeah, that was that was interesting. So you, uh, you were watching it. I was listening to the radio, and I remember like Pat Hughes, in retrospect, did a really good job of being propaganda minister. He, obviously, the people on the inside, word had gotten to them at some point. They didn't learn when Joe left his cryptic message in front of 38,000 people, but um, it was, they stalled is what they did. Oh, I'm, I'm hearing there's a delay, blah, blah, blah. It was like, you know, as we all know, most day games at Wrigley start at 120. Oh, this could have been a 12, 15, because it was a Saturday, but you know, 10, 15 minutes past the game's not started. And like the media, all the media covering, they're running out of stalling tactics. And so, yeah. Eventually, here we go. Here's Joe Girardi of the Cubs sending everybody home without anybody playing because yeah, some guy died at the hotel a few miles south. Was Steve was Stone back? Uh, Stone was back, I think. 
Because we only got I the Joe remember. Carter experience for 01. It was Joe Carter was definitely 01. I can't remember again if it was 2001 or 0102. It was two seasons. I think Stoney might have been gone still. I think he came back in 03. Just in time. So I don't, I can't, uh, I should know that. But I think I think we discovered it. I had always assumed yeah, Joe it. Joe Carter, 2001 and 2002. Got it. Got it. But it would have been a national broadcast, right? The Saturday game? Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was a Fox thing. Oh, they had Tom Brenneman. <laughs> Lending it all of its faux sobriety and seriousness. And tut-tutting. Um, I just thought of another game in O2 I'd like to quickly point out. Um, it happened on the south side. I wrote about this on a very short-lived blog that uh, that Forklift started a couple of years ago, Fully Croizen. We were kind of doing, I forget, just shitty games, shitty obscure games, writing about them. But uh, I would uh, bring it to the Friday afternoon, June 28th, Comiskey Park. I don't think I've talked about it. I've written about it. Uh, Kerry Wood takes the mound. This is before Kerry Wood uh, you know, led the Cubs to within you know, a few innings of a pennant before he mystifyingly walked Brian Banks with a two-run lead in the fifth inning. Here, a little bit different story. We were actually late to the game. Cubs were scoring some runs. I remember showing up in time to see Corey Patterson with a two- or three-run homer. At some point, the game was eight to nothing. Three-run homer. Yeah. Look at what inning, second, third inning. Let me pull it up. Top of the so, second. I'm, this is pre-reconfigured Comiskey. And so, basically, we're in the upper deck about 400 feet from the sun itself and, you know, very far from the action. But I remember, like, slowly getting a little bit enraged by two things. One, yeah, the Cubs are up 8 nothing, but Curry Wood started walking guys. And number two... A lot of dipshit Cub fans that were not paying any attention to any of this, and they're all around, and they're all standing up, and they're everyone's getting shit fit. I was drinking too, but and I was having a good time. And one of my friends in the group actually had the nerve to feel sorry for our White Sox friend uh, who actually got us the tickets and saw the Sox down ain't nothing. And I shot him a look because I learned as a kid, you don't feel sorry for the opposition of the game's over. Sure enough, that would come back to haunt us. But I was mad at these Cub fans and I'm like, you don't even know what Kerry was. He's walking people. He's, what does he just put the ball over the plate? And basically uh, it went where the Cubs up eight to nothing after three innings managed to be down Two runs, three innings later. It was almost breathtaking how quickly it happened. But it was really uh, – and I love Kerry Wood. I do think sometimes he's a little – I hate to say it – a little overrated sometimes. People really, really love Kerry Wood, and he did some great things. But um, a, a little bit star-crossed and often sometimes a little frustrating. Certainly on this day, I was not a big Kerry Wood fan. Well, I got a special treat uh, for you. Since you mentioned Kerry Wood, I got a special guest. Pat Hughes this year. He's going to talk for an hour and a half about this strikeout game. <laughs> the, defense, the offensive Pat, May third, nineteen ninety eight. Let me tell you, uh, the the end of the story will just be that the Cubs, the, the White Sox win going away. It was laughable how quickly they came back, and I remember just drunk, sunburnt, angry, frustrated just over it, walking out of the park and just like yelling at Sox fans, big deal. You beat the Cubs. They suck. You know, I'm just yeah, the Cubs like, were 32 and 44 going into the game. They were bad. You know, so it's all we had. And the, and the Cubs Sox thing was still new. Yeah. 
somewhat had a little bit of novelty. I was still go. I would go to the games at Wrigley pretty much, you know, uh, back in those days. I swore to myself, and I have lived up to it. I have been to Sox Park since then, never to see a Cubs game because I swore on that day because I was just so aggravated with everything. I said I will never come to this ballpark to watch the Cubs play the White Sox ever again, and I've held to it twenty years later. So the last last Cubs Sox game I went to at Comiskeller. What's it called? Payday, uh, Payday Loans lo, Field? Lo, low interest field? Uh, 2003 or four? Three. Had to be three. Because uh, Sammy Sosa and Troy O'Leary both homered. Now, do you know? Uh, had, to be, had to be 03, by the way, because O'Leary was not on the team any other right. year. So it was the year after the game I just discussed. Got it. All right. Gave it away. Uh, but in, who scored the final run of the 2003 League Championship Series? The, uh, the aforementioned? Uh... Troy O'Leary had a home run. That's right. Uh, in the eight time homer, yeah, I believe you know who made true. the last out. Yeah, we've talked about it multiple times. I'm sure Gabor. Gabor, that's way to fire your big gun at the end there, <laughs> dust bag. They were down four. It was doesn't over. matter. Might as well have sent the Bat Boy up as to send up Gabor. So besides Troy O'Leary's uh, one of his rare shining moments at U.S. Comiscular in 03, uh, anything else noteworthy? Yeah, uh, yeah one of, there were a couple of things. One was, one of the reasons I never went back, I, I never wanted to go back for a Cubs-Sox game again, because it was... It's the worst. Yeah, I, the fans are weird, and but um, I didn't go for a couple of years, and then, of course, the uh, the Sox had the ultimate Father Sunday out at the park, where the Lagoo boys um, attacked... Um, Former th- former third base Cubs coach Tom Gamboa. Tom Gamboa. I almost said Tony Muser, who also was on that coaching staff, but did not get attacked by them. <laughs> so this what they, been, pre- this would have been in two thousand two. Very timely, by the way. Let's let's tether uh, the current season. Oh, to two. Okay, so we went the year after that. In late oh, two. Okay, now this makes sense to me because I went, and one of the things I didn't like about it was we had to stay in our fucking seats. One of the one of the nice things about going to Comiskey was you would buy tickets for the upper deck and you'd never go up there. You could just hang out in that huge center field concourse and stand there and watch the game. And you had, yeah, beer. You could any beer you wanted was yeah. right behind yeah. you. Any food, and we never caused any problems. We just hung out and had a good time. Well, once that happened, they, oh my gosh, and I Especially believe they guys. still do it, which really pisses Sox fans off. They force the upper deck people. They can't, they don't have access to that part of the park. They just have to go up. Is is, the, is that what happened with the Leggies all the way yes, up in the nose? That was part of the response to no, that. Of course, because that wasn't even the. They also had they beat up an ump too, right? Sox fans attacked an umpire. The Lagoos weren't the only incident they had. It could be. Okay. Um, the Lagoos. Somebody's like, people Cub fans. Like, yeah, of course they were. That's why they were shirtless at a Sox game. I believe they were playing and the I'm, Royals because they right. love the Cubs so much. And I think I mentioned this when the wheels spun in 1996, but I was chatting with Danny Darwin in batting practice at that point, an aged veteran for the Astros, because I recalled a story from about 19 years earlier where uh, he had gotten punched uh, on a CTA bus after a Sox game uh, by <laughs> whom I can only assume was another Sox fan. So throw that on the pile. Danny appreciated the memory. You were just chatting with Danny Darwin during batting practice? Were you guys down by the cage? No, I was in the, the you know front row of the bleachers, and he was shag. He was, you know, was everybody would shag flies, right? I don't know how it works now. By the way, it took my family to uh, to the Cubs game on Sunday. My wife's actually out of town, uh, girls' weekend, so I took my sons and one or my my son and my daughter, and my son's friend, got down there, got a perfect parking spot, 
greatest spot. Yeah, we know you took a picture of it. I know. And then I accidentally deleted it, but it was blurry anyway. But it was at Racine and Waveland, <laughs> literally uh, 1100 West Waveland. And, uh, be, but we got, it was easy to get parking in the neighborhood because we were down there at about 1110 because the gates opened 1120. And I can get down to the wall and get uh, my, you know, my kid and his friend a baseball from a player. And they didn't have batting practice that day. So I had two whole hours to kill at Wrigley Field. How about this? Next time you go, get there early, dress one of your kids up like a squirrel, and have them run around the warning track. Somebody did that in Pittsburgh yesterday. Right. That but was during the really game. Well, that was PNC. Right. Right. But on this day, yeah, but yeah, of course you would be like, uh, batting. So I haven't really gone to much batting practice in 20 years, but like you would see, like, it wasn't just like outfielders shagging flies and just like relief pitchers like to hang out and like to yuck it up with idiots like me. So Danny Darwin, no exception. Yeah. To answer your question, do the Cubs still shag flies? No, they have a, they have a simulated shagging lab. (laughs) They do it in there. They 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 took over the old top top golf course in Itasca after they moved to the Schaumburg location. They got plenty of space yeah. there. That is not to be confused with the shag and lab that Mark Grace had, which was not simulated. Correct. Right. Right. Yeah. This one didn't have the three gold gloves. But the on the, the table in there was place. reinforced, <laughs> just in case he was in a slump. But a bump. There we go. Um, so sorry to go that far around the bend. I, I guess the, the common thread is uh, White Sox fans uh, and alcohol tend to lead to violence or something. And, uh, and everyone else suffers, right? Can't have good things. Can't have nice things because the, the Leggees came all the way from the upper deck to attack poor old Tom. Well, Gamble. they didn't come down from the upper deck. That was the problem. They had upper deck tickets. But they were like they were just oh, sitting, they never they were sitting down no, by the chilling in the beer garden. Right. Because right. it was a sax game. There's no fucking fans there. <laughs> right. Especially in O two. Things were pretty bleak there. My, my friend Neil, the one I went to, would go to sax games with, um always preferred like he wanted the sax to win. I he he was in heaven after you know they win in 05, and then within a couple of years they're bad again. And uh-huh. he loved it because then the crowds went away. And he, sure. he just liked to have access to any part of the park that he wanted to sit in. <laughs> he was used to it. You know, I, He's like, I they, say, I, they, they won a World Series. I saw it. Now, go away. I want to right. sit, I want to sit I down behind go, the first I'm base. I want to baseball. Well, Sox fans had to deal with, uh, I th- I'm pretty sure they probably had higher attendance the first five years of that ballpark because everybody wanted to check it out. But within, you know, and they had a good team. But then by the time Terry Bevington came along, uh, and then the strike happened and, you know, strike happened first in Bevington. And then that place was a ma- mausoleum and uncle Jerry finally shaved down the upper deck. And it's still, yeah. it's, it's a great, it's a fine place to watch a game from the lower deck. Cause it's a modern ballpark. You don't have any missing angles, but, and I've been there as I've already stated, I will, you know, I was there for plenty of the, these Cubs Sox games until O two, like five, five or six. Yeah. Every, beginning, everybody want to go down and, and be like, are you, they really, they really situated this park so that you can't see the skyline. And they went out of their way to do it. I, I, I researched that. Most teams, I, I don't have it memorized, but most teams' home plates are in the same geographic, I can't remember now what it was, wherever Wrigley is, which is basically southwest. Yeah, they're all designed so that the right fielder goes blind looking yes. into the sun late in the afternoon. Yeah. And there are exceptions. Um, and Wrigley's one, and Comiskey's one of them. Well, didn't they set it up so that, because old Comiskey was there, aren't, weren't they like butt to butt? Yeah, maybe. But yeah, for no, I mean, real, no apparent reason, they were tearing the old one down. 
All right. Yeah. I don't know. But I, 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 I actually I actually took the time to analyze where home plate was geographically in real. I'm like, wow, they went out of their way to make it uh, an exception. I always thought they did it because they were going to put those big billboards up. And that way they were blocking the the projects were still there. They were blocking the, those. The, the Robert Taylor homes. And they would never have to take any heat from people like, why don't you take them on the fucking billboard so we can see the skyline? It's like, well, you can't see the skyline from there anyway. So yeah. leave them up. <laughs> It's more cash for Jerry. For whatever reason, yeah, I, you know, it's not the worst dump around. It's not, you know, it's like I no, said, it's a lower lot better deck, than it was. It's a better they made place it... to watch a ball game than Wrigley from the lower deck. I'll say that, but it should be. It's 70 years newer. Well, what frustrated people was, um, what, a Camden Yards open the very next year? The year before. The year before. Oh, no, yeah, no, no, the year after, the year after. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. everybody's like, oh, look how much, look how much better this is. Right. Than the piece of, than the cookie cutter bland it was state of Illinois funded piece of shit yeah, that the, the whole thing of and they've yeah. basically spent the next you know what is it almost thirty years now right more than thirty years yeah um fixing all the stuff that they could have got right in the first place yeah and it does look better I mean it is it's a you know it's, it's a fine. nice looking yeah it's a nice looking park it's still dull but it's the White Sox and they right. you know. It's a, it's a it's it's fi- it's a fitting park for a franchise with the most boring nickname you could possibly have. Piece of clothing, Ooh, that a you white wear in your pair face. of socks. That, How that, exciting! That seventy percent right? of it is, is obscured. Their yeah. mascot should just be a pair of sandals. With the socks <laughs> stuck sticking out of them. So we so talked. You were, to, coming at, you were coming in harder than the gay jokes. So oh the yeah, and the number two, the second thing that happened was. Uh, there were some drunk Cub fans there. We had we had wandered down away from our seats, and we were getting beer, and we were kind of down like in a concourse. And I think it was when Sammy hit his homer, or maybe Troy O'Leary may have robbed someone of a home run. Believe it or not, I think he uh, jumped his fat that. ass up and he caught right, the ball no. right over the wall, which the wall so must have been like somebody, four foot six back. Did then. Somebody leave a trampoline on the warning track. And this one c- drunk Cub fan was like super excited. And he was like one of those guys who has to like turn and get in everybody's face and be like, yeah. high five everybody for like And a I didn't single. wear, I just had like a, I had like a gray shirt on. I didn't have a Cub shirt on. I didn't have anything. And so he uh-huh. just assumed I was a Sox fan and he's in my face screaming at me. And I go, I go, just shut the fuck up. <laughs> and he gets all pissed and he rears back. He's going to take a swing at me. And he's drunk and I'm, I expect right. him to fall down while he's trying to do it. And he swung wildly and missed. And before I could do anything, there was like four security guards had literally like picked him up off the ground and were like just they sure. were carrying him out. And he was gone. And it happened so fast. Neil and I are standing there like, what did that? There was nobody there all of a sudden. We're like, did that just happen? What Beautiful. Happened? They probably had their eye on that, that clown oh, I'm for sure a little they did. bit. Yeah. Although usually they had their hands full at Cub Sox games with the, uh, uh, it's usually White Sox women fans getting in fights a lot of a lot I've of drunk few, white Sox i've fans seen a few double xl canerco jerseys yeah. swinging fists on youtube yeah oh that would have been was that pre-canerco or right oh, no because canerco hit two hit a grand slam and oh, uh and yeah. another homer and he also got hit in the head by so that was after trade. the mike cameron trade yes yeah no yeah because canerco actually came up with the dodgers you're supposed to be he the was a catching prospect and then he fucked up his hip and then he was that's Kyros why he was so slow up, and he then the he got traded hip. to the reds he got traded to the reds for can oddly enough cameron in late 98 and canerco was briefly a red 
no, he got no, not, he got traded Cameron when he went to the Sox, like you said, but he got traded from the Dodgers to the Reds late in the '98 season, and then the Reds flipped him, and he became a local legend. But yeah, so he That's was fine. very you know, much of all a, of all those guys. Canerco always seemed like the like the most normal one, mm-hmm. so I was always fine with the fact that hard to hate him. He was the guy that everybody adored. There were some other guys like AJ and Scotty Fabulous right. I could do without. Uh, yeah, let's not go down that rabbit hole. So, we talked about a exciting rookie debut in 2002. Maybe the most uh, talked about de- rookie debut that year being Hesop Choi. <laughs> uh, but there was also another one. And if you are an obvious shirts fan, and I don't know why you would be, you might know him from such famous from famous shirts as I still love Mark Pryor. Or something. Oh, I forget. Okay. I mean, I like him. I don't hate him. I feel bad for him. He's a star-crossed, tragic kind of a figure. His pain is very much associated with ours, his fandom. But you're right. He did make his debut. May 22nd, 2002. I was there. I was in attendance. So I got to see Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor's. Uh, well, no, I'm sorry. Kerry Wood's Wrigley debut. But, yeah, a lot of hype, too. Pryor had been drafted uh, the year before in 01. Uh, obviously, uh, kind of fell into the Cubs' lap due to their own ineptitude from the 2000 series uh, season. That's how Kerry Wood fell in their lap in 95 because they sucked in 94. Uh, but there was some tension because um, I think, what was it? Pryor and Mark Teixeira were the top two. Uh, that was the concern. Uh, and because of the back, and f- the back and forth between the American League and National League, the Twins had the first pick. And, not Mark um, Right, they did not take Mark Teixeira no. or Mark Pryor. They no. took the guy that ended up having a better career than both of them. Although Teixeira had a pretty decent career, they took Joe Maurer, the local guy, because oh, he was right. cheap. And they could I didn't realize. Him. I didn't realize Teixeira was in there. He went fifth to the range. Oh, then I had, but I have it wrong. See, in my own memory, for some reason, around the time of that draft, I thought it was like Pryor Teixeira one two, but the Twins are cheap and they're going to take the local St. Paul kid, Joe Maurer. Yeah, they and took then the, it went Pryor. They okay. took the local, the local kid. Future prob- possible probably go to the Hall of Fame. Who was third and fourth in that draft then? Oh, they I, were great. Uh, must have been some other cheapskate organizations because I, I remember like Tashira was the Tashira and Pryor were the two hot pros- the top prospects. Number three, the Rays took the great Dewan Brazelton. Okay, I remember and the number name. four. The Phillies took future White Sox pitcher Gavin, Gavin Floyd. Floyd. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they so Joe Maurer went number one, and one of the big deals was um, they couldn't go super cheap on Joe because they had to buy him out of his commitment to play not just baseball, football, but football because he was a catcher. So of course he played football at Florida State. He was like the the number one rated high school quarterback, and he was going to go play for Bobby Bowden. Wow! And the uh, Twins had to come up with the cash. Okay, a little bit. Probably yeah. not prior Keep him in baseball. Prior had the, you know, of course, the, the 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 pedigree already. He seemed like a finished product. As soon as the Cubs drafted him, he went out and blanked whomever for Southern Cal in the World Series. And then they did the Cubs actually for once in the Lynch McPhail era did the prudent thing and basically just didn't really push him the rest of all one because he had pitched a lot for USC. I don't even I don't think they sent him a rookie ball, right? They treated him very nicely in the beginning or whatever. I mean, if prior wanted to pitch 
Well, they probably still wouldn't have let him because, you know, um, they hadn't hired Dusty Baker yet. <laughs> he made uh... – But, yeah, so the next year he, he starts – his first couple yeah. appearance, I'm pretty sure, was April of that year for probably Iowa, right? Yeah, he didn't pitch at all in 2001. And in 2002, he started the season in at West Tennessee. Double A. And he made six starts. He was 4-1 and one with a 2.60 ERA. And then they said, right. okay, well, that's not a challenge. We're they starting promoted to him to Iowa, and he made three starts, and he was 1-1 one and one with a 165 ERA. Yep. 24 strikeouts in 16 innings. Yep. And they said, all right, that's enough of that shit. And he... They brought him up, and he never had to pitch in the minors again. Oh no, he did. He <laughs> wait, he did pitched really? in the minors. Uh, I rehab in, assignments in two thousand three, and no, in two, not in two thousand three. In two thousand four, yeah, all rehab assignments, and which is part of the story. And two thousand five, and nothing. Six, he, he and two thousand ten, and two thousand eleven, and two thousand. Oh my God. 12 and 2000. Holy, stop! You're breaking my heart. It's worse than I remember. Jesus, poor guy. But yeah, so he broke in against the Pirates, and I threw six innings, gave up only four hits, two runs. Nice. Struck out 10. All, yeah. 7 to 4 Cub win. All that I can remember about it was that um, Don Baylor, who loved to bunt, let me tell you. Um, he loved bunting more than opening day. He, I, he did. Yeah. I did. He did. Uh, very well. Very well done. I mean, I, I think back to Baylor's first two seasons, in which in both seasons is, is uh, the t- his daily double, as it were, was were, were Eric Young and Ricky Gutierrez. We've talked about Young had a great year in 2000. The Cubs sucked, and then he was terrible in 01 when they could have used him. Uh, Gutierrez was pretty consistent, but it seemed – countless the times in the first inning of games if Eric Young would reach base. This seems inconceivable today, and it, and it should and it should, should have been inconceivable then, but I don't know that we were as outraged. But in the first inning, Baylor would constantly have Gutierrez bunt uh, Young to second. So in Pryor's debut, I don't know what happened in the first few innings, but I just know that when he comes up to bat, it's first and second. Right before he comes up to bat, the eighth place hitter, whoever it is, is up with first and second, and I think one out. And like this, just it mystifies me that you would just put this kind of pressure on your ace pitcher when he's like <laughs> going to hold a bat in his hands facing major league pitching. Yeah. But he had his eighth place hitter sacrifice the runners to second and third. And Pryor was a great athlete. He had a few homers. You know, he was a, just a good, a good all around baseball player, but. It still seemed ridiculous that Baylor would give up uh, the eighth hitters, uh, eighth place hitters bat to put Pryor there with a chance to knock in two. I mean, well, the oh. the the Cubs, the 2002 Cubs were star studded, and um, in his second career at bat in the fourth inning, uh, Bobby Hill reached base on a error on the first baseman. Okay, and then the great Augie Ojeda was up while Augie was batting. Um. Bobby stole second base. Okay. So John Baylor's like, ooh, here we go. He has Augie bunt Bobby Hill to third base so that his pitcher, his rookie pitcher okay. in his first game, is now batting with a runner at third and one out. One out. All right, so I had it off a little bit. But I, so, hey, buddy, just get a, just take this you know, 89-mile-an-hour pitch and then loft it about 280 feet if you yeah. could. Uh, prior grounded out to second baseman, did not score the run. And then Corey Patterson. Came up and he grounded out to the shortstop, and the Cubs didn't score. But great job! It's one of those things where, uh, hey Don, 
the runner's already in scoring position. You don't just, really need to yeah, move him to right. third with 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 it's no you more. have nobody out. How about you just have Augie actually try to get a hit? Huh? Or pull the or bring the guy over and maybe he does get a hit. Like maybe pull him to the right side. Uh yeah, so that's actually worse than what I had remembered, which was the first and second one out. So the so, uh I think it's worth worse. So the O two Cubs were full of uh of interesting draft picks. Bobby Hill, who had been a White Sox draft pick who refused to sign. Can we revisit real quick since we're, we've been a little bit White Sox intensive? Sure, we'll get well. back. We'll do more Mark Pryor, but yeah, we can. We can was Hill a here. first round pick of the Sox or second round? He was something, he was a high, he basically was his agent board. He played, yeah, he played some shenanigans. That he, was a, he was a second round pick in the 99 draft. And he was a junior at the University of Miami. Um, so he could go back. Which players don't often do after the junior year. But I don't think Bobby, Bobby just didn't. He, so, yeah, if you don't sign, you can just go back and play your senior year. I believe Bobby didn't sign with the White Sox, but didn't go back to Miami either. Uh, he's like he hung out at the major. Boris Academy. Uh, okay. Doing whatever. Uh, he was a Miami Hurricane, maybe. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Yes, All right. he was a Miami Hurricane. Okay. Uh, let's see. So, second round. And, and this is like, you know, King of the Hill has been out for a couple of years, so we had to, like, you know, recalibrate. This is not that Bobby Hill kind of funny but then of course as cub fans we were stoked because it would be the ultimate own if bobby hill after yeah, spawning to be a superstar Sox. all right cubs just like we can't him. wait for nick madrigal to be a superstar oh, I'm done. <laughs> uh so bobby hill yeah was the 15th pick of the second round by the white Sox. um guys picked after him who the white Sox could have had instead include Cubs 2016 World Series champion Chris Coughlin, John Lackey. Oh, the off. Angels, who what a year? Well, just three years later would be. Uh, a, I don't know if he's rookie of the year, but he was a star in the 2002 World Series for the Angels. Scott Spezio, no Lackey. Oh right, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to another one. Right, but right. he was a he, he was a rookie. No, yeah, that's about it. That's about the only guy in the second round that the Sox okay. really okay. missed out on. And that's the nine. Did you say that? I'm sorry, that was the ninety nine. That was ninety nine in two thousand. Okay. The Cubs drafted him also mm-hmm. in the second round. Yep, and signed him. And they of course signed him because he didn't have anywhere else to go. He had when that second time around. He's got to sign. And now he's a year older. They but, drafted you know, him ahead Cubs, of so. superstars like Xavier Nady. Future who did play Cubs. for the Cubs, right? Yeah. Yeah, if we ever do, I think 2010, I think maybe Xavier uh, Nitti was a Cub. Future Reds reliever Joel, that petter-assed Hanrahan. Okay. Lance Necro. Yeah, I think that was Joe's kid, not yeah, Phil's. But that's okay. about it. It wasn't about it. Bubba Nelson, who had never played no. in the big leagues. All right. But he got picked so, after Tag Bozied from the Twins. But yeah, so Bobby that. Hill. Um he played a key point. He was a uh, a key member of the 2003 Cubs because of the trade where he made the greatest contribution that he could have possibly yes. made. He got his My ass traded for Ramos Ramirez <laughs> and Kenny Lofton. So, yeah, thank you, Bobby. That's right. Um, yeah, so he he made his debut. He stopped Choi, as you mentioned earlier, made his debut. Pryor made his debut. Pryor was the real deal. And, uh, and you know, it was, it was, it was enticing. It, what do you go? Six and six. Right. And then they shut, he pulled his hammy, which is weird because we thought he was a perfect specimen. Well, yeah, big calves probably put too much yeah. strain on his hammy. 
so it was nobody was concerned. He didn't blow out his arm. I, I think you know he, his manager for the most part, uh, you know, was Bruce Kim. It wasn't Baylor. His Baylor was gone within a month after uh, after he made his debut. But yeah, so they shut him down, and then it was all right. Well, the Cubs sucked anyway. We'll see you next year, and we did. But so there was the Cubs also on the 2002 team had, and this is going somewhere. They had the they had another really high draft pick. They had the tenth pick of the 1995 draft on their roster. See, see, that's the Kerry Wood draft. Kerry Wood went fifth. Yeah, so the fifth and the tenth pick of that draft. Right, on the who, drafted, who drafted this guy? The Dodgers. No, the Dodgers. sorry, 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 sorry. He played for the Dodgers later. The Pirates. Played for the Pirates. I thought he's, he's already. So he, yeah. On the O2 important. Cubs, and he was a prospect. He uh, had been a prospect at one point. Oh, um, uh, Chad Her- Chad Hermanson. Chad Hermanson played for yeah. the 2002 Cubs. Pretty sure. Who do you think Mark Pryor, the first batter Mark Pryor ever faced in the big leagues was? Uh, Chad Hermanson. It was Chad Hermanson. Uh, he's still his, playing with the Pirates. His teammate later that year. And okay. did he strike out Chad Hermanson to, lead, to start his big league career? Did he? He didn't. Chad Hermanson got a hit. Oh. I'm sure that? Chad reminded him of that. After he got released and signed by the terrible 2002 Cubs, yep. was hanging out and said, "I got my. <clears throat> I, I do you want recall, me to sign that ball for you, rookie? Huh? For, for no good reasons, I do recall going to a wedding. So I can tell you, it happened on a Saturday. But Chad Hermanson's only home run that year for the Cubs happened on a late September Saturday. Um, I'm pretty sure. Did he have only one homer? He had. I'm sure of it. But oh, he had. He um, had 38 home runs for no, the 2002 one homer, Cubs. One homer for the Cubs. Drove in 179 runs. I forgot. Well, what a great. Well, that's a, that, now that's a fun fact. Though. Yes, so one homer Hermanson, and three RBIs. Right, and that homer came in late September on a he, Saturday, I guarantee you. He was terrible. He batted two oh nine, which is like 20 points higher than Jason Hayward is currently hitting for the Cubs. Wow, good good comp. Yes. Uh, yeah, and I will just guarantee you that it would, would have been on the penalty. I just i am sure it was the penultimate game of the season that he had his sole home run as a Cub. But that's a fun fact that earlier in the season, he was a member of the opposition, and he was the first major league first batter, batter Mark, Mark Pryor ever that, faced. That is a fun fact. By the way, Chad Hermanson, minus 3.6 career yeah. war. He was that's pretty not good. Mark Pryor, 6-6, six and six, 332 ERA. Made 19 starts for the Cubs. 147 strikeouts, 116 innings, walked 38, gave up only 98 hits. ERA plus of 122 as a half-season rookie. Well, I have 19 starts. That was two games yeah. a season. Yeah. Yeah. Zambrano, who did not start the season with the Cubs, almost caught up to him in innings, but, you know, they would be horses. Um I thought you had mentioned also another fun fact. You, we, we talked about this before, so we have to bring it up. We talked about this off the air, uh, like months ago, or in another podcast possibly. But in any event, prior, there's some connection with the guy that relieved prior in this game. That I think you you unearthed that, so I should let you point that out, or should because that was not a fact that I had known until you mentioned it. The guy that came in relief. I gotta see what I did here. Let's just say he had a son who uh, who was a pretty good football player. Oh yes, 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 yes. That's right. Um, yeah, the first guy to relieve Mark Pryor in the big leagues uh, was um, fathered a future Hall of Fame NFL quarterback. That's the way to phrase it. That would be <laughs> Pat Mahomes. 
Right. And, and when you first told me that, I'm like, wait, no, no. Paul Mahomes was one of the guys That's that not Paul flipped. Right, right. Pat no, Mahomes. And I totally and I somehow escaped the fact that Pat Mahomes, the quarterback, his dad had pitched for uh, was a pitcher and he pitched for the Cubs. Yeah, and I think Pat then, Mahomes is much I, much better remembered at pitching for the Mets and the Twins than the Cubs, but okay. he did pitch for the Cubs. I think for two years, actually. But yeah, you uh, you you dropped that nugget in that he actually relieved Pryor, which that, that's another fun fact. So Pryor's debut, plenty of fun facts. Chad Hermanson and Pat Mahomes' dad. Oh, just one year for Pat Mahomes uh, with the Cubs. Okay. Pitched in uh, 16 games, 32 innings, struck out 23 at ERA 386. He would only play one more year. He played for the 03 Pirates for nine Have we games. Could- have we confirmed that no other 2002 Cubs fought, sired a uh, potential future NFL Hall of Famer? Oh, I don't Probably, know. right? Odds would be, you know, you odds would know. be thin. Yeah. Uh, I'll take that one, though. That, that's that's one hell of a fun fact. I mean, Delano DeShields was on the Oath because his son also made the big leagues. But, man, I don't see any football players. Yeah, I don't know if uh... – Will Kinane, the ugliest man who ever played for the right. Cubs. He looks like uh, he looks like Martin Short's character who couldn't swim but was in the Olympics for synchronized swimming. Just that haircut. It was just like what was what are you oh, thinking, Will? I, I I'm jumping ahead now because we're getting towards the end, I think, but I, I'm looking at the roster. You brought this guy up before. Must have been when we did the two thousand one Cubs. Ron Mahay. Ron right? Mahay. Yeah, former two way two way Ron Mahay. Ah. The Shohei Otani of his of his time. Ramahay originally made the big league. He's from uh, um, he went to South Suburban Rockford. College and Shepherd High School. Oh, South Suburban, that's what it was. Yeah. And he originally made the big leagues as a position player for the Red Sox, and then couldn't hit, and they turned him into a uh, relief pitcher, and he pitched for fourteen years in the big leagues. Including, I believe, two stints with the Cubs, right? Or was it just one? Two separate stints. I'm just looking and now, seeing that he had 14.2 two years. Four, 14 and two thirds innings with the 02 Cubs. Yeah. It's funny. I remember him because he only pitched a, a total of about 36 career innings for the Cubs over the course of two seasons. But I do remember Ron Hay. I did not know he was an outfielder before you mentioned that on a previous uh, podcast, by, by the way. I don't know why I didn't catch that at the time. Yeah. He, he got, um, he got, 22 at bat, 20, 20 at bats in 1995. He got four hits, uh, a homer, homer and three RBIs, okay. just like Chad Hermanson. Mm-hmm. And then the Red Sox are like, Ron, you you can't, you you really can't hit. Yeah. But up. you can throw, and you're left-handed, so let's give it a shot, and it worked. Yeah, and I, for some reason, I also remembered him as Rod Mahay. So I, I consider myself edified now, Rod Mahay. But yeah, so Mark Pryor with the very star-crossed career. Um, he was incredibly good in 2003, and so good that new manager uh, Dusty Baker could not stop uh, watching him pitch. Like a shiny new toy. Um, so from August 10th to September 27th, uh, Mark Pryor in 2003 made what's that four? He made ten starts. He uh, won eight of them. 
That's pretty good. Yep. And he threw, these are his pitch totals in those games. 116, 118, 100, 116. Eh, that's bad. Back-to-back, 131, 129, 109, 124, 131, and 133. I remind you that Mark Pryor was 21 years or 22 years old in 2003. <laughs> with, with prior to that, not even a full major league season under his belt. And those are all high-pressure games. Wow. So then in the postseason, he made three starts. Started um, game three against the Braves through a complete game, three to one win over Greg Maddox through 133 yep. pitches. Okay. He then started game two of the NLCS, a game you will remember at one point the Cubs were winning 12 to nothing. Yep. That's why or Dusty. 12 to three, or something like that. They won 12 it was to like three. A, yeah, it was a seven eight run lead by the fifth. It was ridiculous. Yeah. So that, that was Dusty. Uh, he only made him pitch five innings that day. Oh, no, no, that's not right. He had him pitch into the eighth. Through 116 pitches, and then he had to come back, and yep. he saw, he inexplicably ran out of gas. Yeah, who could have seen that coming? <sighs> Thank you, dustbag. Yeah, but that's. Uh, but um, you know, someday we're going to do the 041, and that's going to get worse when. Yeah, because Pryor was still good in 04. It's he kind was of still good, and then he would get. You know, he had. Um, well, of course, 03 was the uh, ran into Marcus Giles. Correct. And uh, obviously hurt himself and stayed in to keep pitching. That was good. Well, that I think is ultimately the, that's the nexus of the whole thing, right? Because years later when he kept coming on and off the, uh, the injured list and throwing towels years later, he had some scope that was done that determined that deep in his shoulder, there was some previously, uh, you know, unobserved tear that they, deduced was the result of a yeah, when, trauma. Right. When they finally um, cleaned his shoulder out because he wasn't going to pitch anymore and they could really get in there and just try to make him so he was, you know, comfortable. Yeah. His doctor told him that he had, yes, he had shot signs of overuse, but his main problem was what you said. There was trauma to the shoulder yeah. that clearly had come from a collision and it did. Yeah, there's almost no chance it didn't happen against Marcus Giles. So he right. finished that game, or he didn't finish that game, but he continued. Well, to Well, he went so he took back out. out to pitch. Yeah. Um, only th- he got a, it was like a half day for him though. Five innings, he only had to throw 95 pitches. He then went on the he was on the DL until August 5th, and August 5th, Dusty um, only made him go 79 pitches in six innings. But then after that, that was the other thing I forgot to mention. After he'd come off the DL with his having his shoulder, you know. Bash. That's when that string that I just read off started. Oh my God! Yeah, absolutely no prudence and uh, employed. Well, it's interesting to look back on the events of what was his debut? May something? This like how? Got to take your uh, prevagen, and you remember back to May twenty second, two thousand two. Twenty years farther back than they made you think back tonight to Wilson Contreras hundredth. Correct, almost to the day. In fact, that would have been a better, even though it's a bittersweet star-crossed career, that would have been a much better prevagen ad. Almost 20 years ago today, Mark Pryor, before Dusty Baker ruined him. The uh, only person that Marquee Marquee employs that remembers back farther than three years ago with the Cubs is Ed Hardig. And they they don't really employ him. I'm sure they, like, call him up and make him give him facts for free. 
technically they employ Pat Hughes on the Lord's Day, right? Surely Pat remembers Mark Pryor's debut. Did he, I don't know. Did he strike out 20 batters? Because Kerry nah. Wood did. Let me tell you. Mike, let me tell you about Kerry Wood striking out 20. I guarantee uh, it was you a Pat cold Hughes, day against the Astros. I guarantee you, Pat Hughes probably remembers uh, Don Baylor's mystifying decision to have Augie Ojeda lay one down to bring up the, his rookie pitcher for his first major league. At I don't bat know if they were. If it happens in the fourth inning, they're probably playing the attendance game. Well, he, they they weren't even paying it. They didn't even know what happened. That's uh, the original Pat and Ron show. Yeah. yeah. I listened. I listened a little over the weekend, and they uh, they. Like John Greenberg commented the last time he was on, they did they they literally did like an inning and a half of the of the attendance game. <laughs> they, they really make a, do They make out. a meal out of that now because they got nothing else to talk about, so they yeah. they really drag it out. Uh, there's two reasons I find that funny. Number one, they they do it on the road too, which is weird because of the whole idea that you know your ballpark. Number two, that whole game has been rendered meaningless since like the second Reagan administration when Major League Baseball stopped counting. Turnstile clicks and just tickets sold. So yeah, like every every though. game at Bush Stadium three, right, is a sellout. So was, even though you look and there's half, it's half yeah. full. Yeah, fuck those guys. Yeah, and fuck the attendance game for fuck four. It's worth. Sorry, sorry. I feel like the attendance. I hate game. the attendance game. It's terrible. It's just so dumb. Uh, let's see. So notable two thousand two Cubs. Uh, oh, I guess besides we didn't talk all about the, so we, we didn't, all the luminaries we didn't chance to talk about this. So you you did mention it. Uh Don Baylor, who had come to the Cubs in um in two thousand and had a very bad team. Correct. And then managed them in two thousand and one when they won as many Pretty games as they did in two thousand three. Correct. The beloved two thousand three Cubs more. kind of. And I then believe one more. But anyway, yeah. And things went bad early with the O two Cubs and he got himself fired. And uh, they had a French manager for a day. Rene, not Rene. So no, it was Rene, not Marcel. It was Rene. Rene, Rene Lachman. Right. Not I'm to be confused with his brother Marcel. I'm still puzzled about this. Yeah, Frank Franco. Do you know Franco. why Marcel Lachman didn't manage the Cubs that day? Why he got stuck in an invisible box. <laughs> he couldn't Stop. get out. Oh nope, sorry, that was Marcel Marceau. All right. All right. All right. That was a good joke that about eight people out there remember. If you remember good mime humor from the 70s and 80s, you're going to get right. that joke. Oh, oh, that's yeah. a good one. Is that more obscure than Daddy, What's Grenada? Uh, wait a second. I'm not even sure. What's that from? Wait. Yeah, I know that now. So, it's good region. thing you read the newsletter that you get for free. Um, Hey, I do. I missed it. All right. I, I did put it in a footnote, up. so it was kind of hidden. Okay. Okay. So Jesse might as well talk about it. what the hell. Let's talk about this. The O2 Cubs. Who cares if we uh, go off the rails? Venture off. Um, Jesse Rogers wrote a story about the shift, and oh in boy. it he he asked David Robertson, Cubs relief pitcher, about it, and Robertson said, basically, the thing I don't like about it is how are we supposed to explain it to the kids? Like here, you're, here's where the shortstop plays, but the shortstop never plays there. And in my mind, I thought, Daddy, what's a shortstop? Which then made me think of, I don't know if you remember, back in the early 80s, Time Life Books had a series on Vietnam. 
and they had this overwrought commercial with this little kid and his and his dad, and they're in front of a bookstore, and they're and maybe I think maybe it was a travel agency because in the SNL spoof it was a travel agency, and there was a poster that showed Vietnam, and the kid goes, "Daddy, what's Vietnam?" Uh huh. Well, they did a spoof on Saturday Night Live. And A. Whitney Brown, I remember A. Whitney Brown. I, I do remember He was always the uh, formerly dressed, uh, yeah. yeah. So he him and his son are walking in front of a travel agency, and there's a sign for Grenada. And this would have been just a couple of years after the, the infamous gr- invasion of Grenada. Invasion of, yeah. Where we, some medical students needed to be freed, even though they That's didn't right. know it. And so the Marines showed up on the beach. The smallest country in the Caribbean, one of the smallest countries yeah, in the world. We sent, you know, like a aircraft carrier and lots of people. Serious firepower. So it starts, Daddy, what's Grenada? And then there's a, it's a commercial is about this fake set of Time Life books. There's like 60 books and they're going around. And A. Whitney Brown, is, <laughs> we answer all of the questions. Like, where is Grenada? Um, how did we find it? What did the Marines do the rest of that week? And they show me. It's pretty funny. For my whole life, I've always been like, Daddy, what's Grenada? And so I did that. I made that joke. All right. So I did link to it in the thing you can watch. The, but except it sucks because the you old SNLs, they don't put them on YouTube. And you, you got to go to Peacock or whatever. So I had to, it's on Peacock, but I didn't expect that people subscribe to Peacock. So there is a link to the video, the full episode, uh, hosted by Paul Schaefer and Bruce Hornsby in the range with the. Uh, what? Yeah, I'm sure you get a little mandolin wind. Um, sure. At 20 minutes and like 14 seconds, you can zip right to it and you can watch the. Okay. So there's that. Oh, so I'm glad we, glad we uh, detoured. Thanks for the that. tip. But anyway. Not sure how we got there, but. No. Don Baylor gets fired. Um, we talked about this before, but I believe in another podcast we decided that that was the day. Um, did Andy McPhail fire himself? No, I just to rehash it one more time. In 2000, Andy McPhail fired Ed Lynch, his yep. general manager, midseason after Lynch had hired Don Baylor, and McPhail assumed the reins within short order. Jim Henry was sort of the shadow. Yeah, he was like he promoted uh, Jim, Jim to like assistant. And I think, GM. I think, I think, yeah, that's it. Henry got promoted either the same day or within the same two week window. So this ushered in. The end of Andy McPhail as general manager. Um, so yeah, that's, so Don I mean, Baylor that, gets fired. Sure they uh, it's right before the All Star break, and they have decided they're going to do this extensive search. And they looked all the way to AAA, and Bruce Kim, who was a former big league catcher, who the Cubs thought, "Ooh, this guy, this guy's going to be a great manager someday." Much like what they currently have. Um, well, and also much like what they they just did, took the the playbook from 1991, 11 years earlier. When they fired uh, Don Zimmer and they let John Vukovic or Joe Altabelli manage yeah. for a day, and then they hired a former catcher for the White Sox because Kim Kim was a former catcher for the White Sox and Cubs, uh, and just the White Sox, from uh, who was managing the Cubs in Iowa, and just like with uh, with with Bruce Kim, Jim Essien did not survive past that season. So, yeah, it was eerily similar. So they hired Bruce, hired Bruce Kim, who didn't start until after the All Star break. And the big deal was um, the Cubs uh, had not issued good old number 10 for a few years. We decided, like just like a couple. Scotty Bullitt had worn it. Yeah, well, of course, Leon Durham. Terrell right? Lowry. 
They were the last yes. two to wear it in some order. Dave Kingman back in the day. Yeah, Lloyd McClendon. Yeah, you're right. Louis Louis you're right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, as recently as what, like uh, 1998? Something like that. They hadn't retired it, but they right, weren't issuing it. They had retired it because they were adhering to this silly thing about they would don't retire numbers for players yeah. that aren't and the just, Hall of Fame. Just a year later, they would scrap even though, that. Even though, like, 15 years earlier, Uncle Jerry retires the very mediocre Harold Baines when he still has, like, 12 years to play yeah. in the majors. So. And he actually, to save money, instead of hanging Harold's number on the wall, they hung Harold on the wall. Right. Right. He was de-aging. See, we could climb off the wall to go hit. And then go back to display his uniform on the wall between innings. Um, right. So Bruce Kim gets the job, and he wants to honor his uh, managerial mentor, Jim Leland. Okay. And so he must have coached with him with the Pirates. Sure. Coached under him. Okay. Okay. And so he maybe he even I don't know if Bruce played with the Sox when Leland was there. Maybe that's why they first were in were connected. He might have played for La Russa and Leland was on La Russa's staff. So that that might be their first connection. Sure. So he want he asked to get number ten, and the Cubs are like, "Well, you're going to have to ask Ron Sano because we've kind of parked the number. We just we just told him that, yeah. And so he and I think they probably thought, well, he's not going to fucking ask Sano. He's just going to pick another number. He asked Sano, and Ron, I'm sure, super pissed off. Let him wear it and see the whole time. Grudgingly. Yeah. This I can just, I can hear manager. Ron up there too going, you know, watching like Kim come out in a windbreaker to change pitchers. He's like, I let him run retire of a fucking number and he doesn't even wear it. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I know. I wasn't number windbreaker. Yeah. I was number I don't 10. Get it. What is going on? Which he said a lot, frankly. Even when and Patrick, my guess for the attendance game is, um, yeah. Well, yeah, so well, good for Bruce Kim. He got his number retired. He did. He was the last one to wear number 10 then, just like Bob Avellini was the last to wear number 7 for he, the Bears. He got greedy. He then asked if he could wear number 23, and he wanted to wear, <laughs> he wanted to wear 26 and 14. 14. And they're like, no, no. Um, All right. How about 8? Can right. I wear 8? No, you can't it wear would, It would help if you were not 22 games under 500 or whatever. Well, what was Bruce Kim? Uh, 33 and 45. So really not much better than Don Baylor. Don Baylor, 34 and 49. So pretty much stayed the course. So. So much to his chagrin, Bruce Kim got the ax at the end of the season and went on to a long managerial career nowhere else ever. Yeah. Which, uh, remember, too, that up until this point in our lifetime, the Cubs had a unique thing of – once a guy had managed the Cubs, he never managed again. And, you know, the Cubs were bad. So for so many years, we had many managers. You know, your Gene Michaels, your Don Zimmers, your Jim Fries, your Jim LaFevers, your, your Tom Treblehorns, uh, Jim Riggleman, I was going to say, but he, I believe, was the first that got recycled. And that was long after 2002. And then, of course, there have been a few others since, obviously, Joe Madden and I don't even think Baylor was though. So it was almost a curse. Uh, you you're no longer managing the Cubs, and you're no longer managing. Did you know Bruce Kim went to high school in Norway? No, I know that it's weird that he, I always thought it was weird. He has two M's in the and the end of his name. Norway, Iowa. 
Where we, oh, Jesus. Well, it's probably founded Born by Cedar Rapids. I guarantee it was. Grew up yeah. in Norway, Iowa. There's a Norway, Michigan, too. I mean, I, you know, so he's probably got some Nordic roots. Uh, by the way, out of curiosity, I'm going to mention this now. It did not happen in 02. I just want to throw it out there because you've already done 2000 and we've already done 2001 and there's probably, we've already done 2003. It could come up anytime we talk about Arnie Harris, but I want to say, I'll say, I'll put it in the context of 2002. This was the first season in about 50 years in which Arnie Harris was not the producer of the Cubs. Uh, Arnie was a legend and I only bring this up because I think it's hilarious in a very dark, mean, I'm going straight to hell way in which Arnie Harris died. And I always like to characterize it that stuck having dinner with, Chip Carey late in the preceding 2001 season that Arnie just decided he had enough. And I remember everyone felt so bad for Chip because the poor guy has been through all this. He's been, you know, he had to replace his grandpa. Uh, he, you know, Chip would continue to broadcast for a while, but you know, things have been rough. And then he had to, you know, sit there shocked and alarmed as Arnie Harris was just choking and having a heart attack in public at this restaurant. And, um, but I don't know. We bring up Arnie a lot, so I don't know. It's probably not the time. I just wanted to bring up how he died. Is there is there a chance? I I I'm going to guess is a non-zero chance that Arnie faked his death to get out of jail. <laughs> he's still alive. He was getting ready to retire, <laughs> and he's like, I can't make it through the rest of this fucking season with this guy. Uh, I'm going to pretend I choked on this chicken ball. Well, it's and, not even uh, the rest of the season. It was like the night before the last game. No. So maybe it was more like, oh, shit, next year? I have to do this yeah. again? Uh, because I remember it was like the night before the last game. So it was really – it was sad. <laughs> it was like Arnie brought us a lot of pleasure as kids, whether we knew it or not. I think we picked up on the inside jokes between him and, and Harry at a young age. Uh, and he was obviously a very skilled producer by this point. He'd been doing it for freaking ever. And, you know, and he he had, you know, had a following. He was yeah, the I mean, he was, a national president. So what's he best for known for? He spelled his name weird. A-R-N-E. Right. There's no there's no I. Right? Hat Arnie Harris. When, um, when Steve Stone would start to tell, when Dwayne Stats and Steve Stone worked together, which is a very underrated tandem. They were very good together. Um, I agree. He would Steve would make these horrible pun story, long yep. pun stories about players' names, and at some point during the telling, Arnie would cut to a shot of the lake. That happened all the time, and of course, Arnie, <laughs> Arnie, much to Harry's um, delight, could find any fan with big boobs in the stands. But I always oh. thought that that's what that's what the quote unquote hat shots were. Yes, that's was actually like, yeah, what they, they, right. they were really looking. They weren't looking for hats. Right. Yes. No, it, it he might mix so, in a couple. Might, he might mix in a hat, but, but they were mostly so. And it would just so may happen that if there was a particularly you know voluptuous viewing, that there was also a person in the shot with a hat. I think that was kind of like that. So the, uh, the Steve pun story that I still remember. Because it was it's so not, bad, I've got it the hands of a sturgeon. Me. Sorry, not the hands of a sturgeon, but it's, it's they're all similar. He was talking about uh, Lance McCullers, and he told this long story about how Lance's grandfather had this coat. He had he had this tr- prized coat, and when he died, he left it to Lance's father, or his, I guess he left it to his uncle first, and then something happened to the uncle, and his uncle gave, you know, it, it got willed to Lance's father, and now it was about to be handed over to Lance. Little did he know that uh, at the time that Lance's son was also going to pitch in the big leagues, and he could also get the coat. 
and you could hear Dwayne like start to go, oh boy, like here it comes. Right. And it was, of course, Dwayne, as you'll know, it's the coat of many McCullers. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah, sure. The Dolly yeah, Parton yeah. song, Coat of Many Colors. And then Arnie immediately cut to a shot of the sailboats out on the lake. Nice. Right. And, and yeah, Arnie would also be roped in on the jokes about who'd pick up the check. You know, it was all, it was a part of our youth. And uh, so, yeah, I, I feel it's not like I shoehorned it in because this would be the first season without Arnie Harris. And he did provide a lot. Arnie's wife was Arlene. Is that right? Is that right? Okay. I yeah, believe I, they talked it. about her and they, she had a very similar name. I thought it was Arnie and Arlene. Sure. Arnie. <laughs> but I could be wrong. Yeah. He, apparently it was 38 years, not 55. That Arnie, Arnie was the producer-director. Well, he had so. a contract for 55, and he he decided he couldn't work with Chip anymore, so he... Nope. Right. And, and, he and, and he had, to, had, to, had to fake his death in the most public way possible. Like in, I think it was... Oh, it makes it more believable. Oh. Oh. It was Smith and Walensky. There's a Tribune article you can find, and it was... Was, I remember everyone felt so bad for Chip. And I was just like, "Oh, that's my right. wife's steakhouse, Smith and Molenski." It's a good one. It's right on the river. Yeah, I've never been there myself, but it's I got you know the scenery itself. Remember the the first time we went, she didn't know how it worked at a steakhouse that um, you order everything. Like you have to order the sides and you have to order everything else. And her eyes uh-huh. just kept getting bigger and bigger as she th- was calculating what the bill was going to be. <laughs> Correct. Right. I've been to Morton, before we were married. I'm like, don't worry about it. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I know how much yeah, it's going to yeah. cost. We're fine. Right. <laughs> can I? Can I get? The, yes, you can get those. Okay, good. That's right. You're going to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. Unless, of course, you go uh, to Harry Carey's with Dave Kaplan. Just down the street, basically. And then Dave is like throwing food at you. He's like, "No, let's get nice. this. Let's get this." And, and uh, it was Chuck. And Mike brought. I remember that. Yeah, you guys went out to dinner, right? Yeah. Was TJ? Was, right. We had another person. I forget who it was. Oh, you got you got to hook that up again. Get me involved. I could use right. a free meal cap. I'll and we're it. all starting. After a while, we're looking at each other like, "Oh shit, how are we gonna?" You know, now it's starting right. to get expensive. We don't make caps money. Yeah. Check never arrived at the table. Nice. Right. And we were at table ten. We were at, we were at Tom Shares table ten. I got I got to give props to Cap because you have done nothing but goof on that guy for the better part of two. Not really, you know, but you you have, and like he takes it in stride. So good for him. And good for you. He will just randomly call me, like just decides, hey, I want to chat with Andy, and I'm sure yeah. he does that with all you know, lots of people. Right? Yeah. But I'm in the rotation. Special, but still, the right, first time not... I'm like, oh, there's a butt dial. Right. And I answered it, and maybe it was, but he talked to me for 20 minutes. So. Excellent. Well done. Well, too bad we didn't have Cap on to, uh, you know, get his takes on the 2002 Cubs. If we were gonna, if we were gonna have him on, remember this crap, the 97. 97. That was the one to get. The year he had to live on the billboard. No. But uh, or in the van, right? He was in the WGN. The van, the van, uh, right at Clark and Addison, I believe. Yeah, down right by the McDonald's. (laughs) Uh, So let's see. Let's we wrap up here. Any other? uh, notable 2002 you, Cubs. Um, you tell me. I took a perusal. We covered a lot of them. So, uh, you know. We talked about Angel Echeverria. Oh, I forgot him. Darren Lewis. Mm. Mm. Uh, you did not the running back for the Bears, but, uh, yeah. Uh, the guy after whom Dusty Baker named his son, Darren, who That's almost right. got stampeded by J.T. Snow in that season's World Series. How about that? Yes. Darren Lewis of the Cubs, Darren Lewis's namesake almost got trampled at home plate. 
Oh yeah, Ke- uh, Kevin Kevin Ori uh, 2.0 his return hit 281 in the return. Of course, it was only for 13 games at the end of the year. Should have kept him. Should have kept him. Could have solved our problem at third still. Yeah, instead they went and got some guy named Ramos Ramirez the next year. Right. Terrible. That's right. Yeah, this was the last year of the. Oh, why can't we get anybody to play third Sano? I mean, everybody always ignored Bill Madlock in retrospect. Do you remember and left course, fielder Mario Encarnacion? Kind of. I almost confused him with uh, the aforementioned Echeverria, though, but I kind of remember Mario Encarnacion. Um, what was the other? What was the Reds Encarnacion? Juan? Juan? Yeah, Do you remember how Juan? Do you remember how his career ended? No. He was playing for the Cardinals, right? And he got hit in the face with a with a foul ball in the on deck circle. Oh, and that he was never it. Played again? He never played again. Wow. Oh. He's a regular Benji Molina, whoever the the guy that Benji Christensen threw a pitch at. No, not Benji Molina. Anthony. No, his name was Anthony Molina. There, right. Benji, Benji would have been that's Yachty's brother. Yeah, yeah. Who won a World Series in 2002? Yeah, like how all ties together. It all keeps coming back to 2002, man. Was this a? Did we talk about Francis Beltran and Carlos Sobrano beating the shit out of each other in, in previous football? episodes? We have. Let's bring it up because Beltran was actually on the 02 yes. team, right? They were so just in that Francis listed at six six two fifty five. So he's, him and Carlos basically the exact same size. In that. Tiny, shitty little Cubs clubhouse. <laughs> Two psychotic Latin. Would literally put boxing gloves on and just beat the shit out of each other for fun before games. Why not? Adam. Can you imagine how, how amused some of those teammates were? I'm like, terrified shit, more than amused, I would guess. Right, actually, you're right. Like someone, What happens if somebody gets yeah, brain damaged? I witnessed uh, that. Let's see. Francis's best year in the big leagues would have been 2004. He had a 463 okay. RA for the Cubs. Eh, not that great. No, he, was, he wasn't hopes. very good. I had high hopes for he him. He looked cool. He was big. Big. Yeah. He, he was like another, he was like a Carlos clone. It's, it felt like. Uh, Flash Gordon, pitch for the uh, O2 Cubs. F that guy. He he could have been better in 01. Let's see. He got traded to the Astros for, I'm sure. Would that be uh, back to the Astros? Probably. No, he had been a Gordon. Royal and a Red Sox. Oh, that was it. Failed okay. starter All with right. the Royals. Closer with the Red Sox. Closer with the Cubs. And it pitched for the yeah, White Sox. Wow. Uh, just the next year. Flash. He pitched for the White okay. Sox for a full season. He got traded yeah, for... A little bit of a... He got traded for uh, nothing. Um, Ross... He, him and Ross <laughs> Rolacek got traded Literally. for Travis Anderson and Mike Nanini. No, not not registering. Yeah, I, I was resentful about Gordon because he, like a Lou in 02, Gordon in 01 was a big free agent signing and wasn't ready when the, when the season started. Luckily, Jeff Facero bailed him out. And then when Gordon came back, he was largely okay, but he blew a save in his first game, and then he gave up that homer to Preston Wilson. And yeah. even though he was otherwise pretty good, uh, it just didn't sit well with me. Let's see. That's about it. Jason Beret uh, had been really good for the Cubs in 01. Correct. He was the opposite in 02. He was 1 and 10 with a 567 ERA. Yeah. You knew that that 01 team was a castle made of Sam, uh, Sam, Sand. Well, and Sam, because 
on offense, Sosa had a ridiculously single-handed uh, output, and on, they had careers out of John Lieber. I wouldn't say Beret had a career, but he probably had a second-best year. Julian Tavares was very good, and it's like none of these guys are, you know, especially because Lieber threw so much. Um, just didn't see it standing up, and it didn't. The O2. Cubs had four guys that year lose double-digit games. Kerry Wood was 12-11. and 11. Matt Clement was 12 and 11. Jason Beret was 1 and 10. And Juan Cruz was 3 and 11. 3, yeah. 3 and 11. And he had a 398 ERA. The thing I remembered about Juan was You've that. You've mentioned this before. And this is why he had a 398 ERA. Nobody was better at giving up unearned runs correct, than Juan Cruz. Correct. It was like. So that. It was like he was the official scorer in his head. He's like, okay, let's see. That should have been the third out. None of these runs are going to be earned. Everybody's scoring. What the hell? But that, co- but that totally correlates. I Because I, I, you talked about it before, and then you tried looking it up, and you saw some examples. One year it was kind of uh, probably this year. But that's that's evident by virtue of the loss, the number of losses with the ERA yeah. almost. Well, if you look at the Cubs who pitched the most, Kerry Wood pitched 33 games, 213 innings. He, had, he gave up five unearned runs. Uh, Matt Clement, yep. 205 innings. He gave up um, two unearned runs. Okay. Juan Cruz. Surprising. Clement seems like he'd pitched, be the kind of guy. Only pitched 97 innings, half, less than half as much as those two guys. He gave up 13 unearned runs. <laughs> You're right. I, mean, I and like I said, I'm actually impressed that Clement wasn't the guy who gave up because he seemed he seemed like a kind of guy that yeah, would, same thing. If if things oh no, his, things have gone bad. His shoulders and I'm, then look to the bullpen and try to get out of there. Actually, I wonder he may have turned into that guy. I hate ripping it. I mean, like Clement was so critical in all three, but I, I always have a bad taste in my mouth for the two things. Number one, and this one took me a while to to really you know really sink in, but it's just that uh, supposed. Uh, reluctance to go into game seven on short rest, but he also had a penchant in general. I think we noticed it more when we were paying more attention in 03 because 02 was his first season, but whenever he'd get into trouble, it seemed like he would always start looking into the bullpen. So, And we always kind of interpreted that to be like, yeah. get me out of here. Oh, not, it, it not, was. He, he was a guy who looked at the bullpen and wanted to be nowhere but he would be. He might be a Hall of Famer today. He'd be okay with three, four inning starts yeah. maybe. So our suspicions were right, but it was actually before he was a Cub. Uh, 1999 with the Padres, Matt Clement gave up. <laughs> this is uh, 16 unearned runs. And then really? a year later, 14 more for the Padres. Way to pick up your team. And his ERAs were I'm still ashamed. terrible, 448 and 514. Yeah. He was a hot prospect. The Cubs probably got his best years, actually, because, you know, he ended up having a pretty average career. But... Matt Clement led the league in four categories in his career. Really? Four variant categories? Was one of them walks? No. He Yes, Maybe. in 2000, he led the National League in walks with 125. Okay. And then okay. three times, he led the National League in wild pitches. Okay. Including once with the Cubs. Okay. Thanks yeah, I guess he, yeah, you know, again, especially considering that he was the result of a trade, a rare trade in which the Cubs benefited, right? Because we, well, no, I mean, we gave up Don Trell, but again, uh, nobody knew Don Trell was any good, and the Cubs hammered him in the playoffs anyway, but Clement was a very important part of the 03 team, but I choose to focus on the negative. Uh, 2002 was the follow-up season for John Lieber to his 20 wins in 2001. And yep. 
as I mentioned in the beginning of the, the podcast, he, there was a game, and I, you couldn't find it on baseball reference, but he pitched in a game that got rain delayed, and then after like 90 minutes, Baylor had him go back out. And like he went on the DL a few weeks later and was hardly heard from again. Yeah. Way to go. Yeah. yeah. Baylor and Baker, neither of them were necessarily good, great friends of pitchers, I would say. Uh, let's see here. Um, I guess it doesn't list it. His last start before uh, he went on the DL was against the. He pitched well against the Cardinals. Wait, I'm sorry. Who's this? Lieber. No, he didn't. He gave up eight runs. Well, I bet it's the start before this. Yeah, I think I found. If you it. if you can find a game that's like a six hour game, which right does, does game do game times factor in rain delay time? They pause it, but they should note the rain delay time in the. Got it. Yeah, it was because I don't think yeah he didn't pitch much after the summer, so part of it was like he he threw his life on the line in two thousand one to win twenty and have yeah. his career year, so he was maybe going to burn out anyway, but it didn't help that. Uh, I know that he he went back out to pitch after a long delay, and yeah, that was kind of you know almost like the Mark Pryor, Marcus Giles. It was like almost a direct. You could just almost physically draw the the line. The correlation was pretty clear. But yeah, and I just. Because we'll never, you know, Lieber, we've covered every other season, even 08 when Lieber was completely washed up and came back. So just want to mention again, John Lieber, one of my all-time favorite Cubs because he worked fast and he didn't walk people. So He, he pitched in back-to-back 2 nothing losses to the Braves. Did he really? Yeah. And those are probably like two-hour, 20-minute games, I bet. Because I love that. Even in 1999 when he arrived, he worked – like I hated – that's why I hated Steve Traxel. There's such a contrast. He had Traxel and Lieber on the same staff. And Lieber was like, fuck it. Let's get the game going. Let's keep our infielders on the balls of their feet. Let's keep the game moving. May 24th, 2002. Yep. Despite a one-and-a-half-hour rain delay, John Lieber <laughs> never lost his smooth rhythm pitching a one-hitter to give the Cubs a 3-0 victory Thursday and hand the Reds their first shutout loss in almost two years. John Lieber said, I wish I could throw every game like that. (laughs) Yes, let's listen to him. He threw 78 pitches, 56 for strikes. I want to know, are you reading reading like a reporter's uh, summary? Yeah, ESPN.com. So I'm wondering how many pitches he threw before the rain delay and how many, I mean, I don't know if it matters. So May 24th. I'm going to pull it up because, you know, it's kind of rude of me just to ask you, how many games did he pitch after that? Because I need to know. Um, Because just for my own edification, I sort of feel like, uh, I kind of feel like that was the death knell when Baylor did that to him. Um, Why can't I find Lieber on the roster here? Look like they put the, I would have thought they'd have put the rain delay in the game. Cubs made a flurry of moves. Let's see. Uh, oh, that's I mean, right. two. That's not the right game. To his credit, Lieber, like he must have had surgery after because he pitched in like important games for the Yankees after that because he was a good pitcher if he was healthy his whole career. Hey, he went seventeen and thirteen for the Phillies in 05. and then uh, yeah, it was oh four. He was one of the pitchers that couldn't uh, close out the Red Sox. 
but he was very good in 04. It was an 01. It went and eight. Say uh, that again. It was an 01, the rain delay start. Oh, you're kidding. No. Nope. Oh, I'm now, sorry. That's another remember this crap. We thought he ruined his arm after it. He made, sure it didn't now, help, but he, yeah. he won a whole shitload of games after that. I screwed up the narrative. Uh, does it say when the it, rain delay was? Because that would be. So that was the recap that you're reading was from a game in 2001. Yeah. ESPN recap. Okay. I all I right. read that wrong. That's all right. I, uh, well. Um, yeah, can't win them all. Just 56 strikes. Let's see. Did the, well, let's see. When did the Reds change pitchers? Because I'm sure they were sensible about it. They probably took their guy out. Did they still have the not 86-year-old Jack McKeon? Osvaldo Fernandez was pitching for them. I don't even remember. Their him. manager was... What is it? It was after, uh, it was after McKeon. 2000, 2001. Let's see. Um, yeah, I would guess the rain delay happened during the fourth inning. Because okay. Osvaldo Fernandez came out after three and a third. And it was only two nothing. Got it. Let's see. They mark that. All right. Well, if if I do some research and find after the fact that the same thing happened in 02, I will definitely uh, share that because no, I'm this. That's it. That's the one we're thinking. It's a ninety minute rain. But I'm willing to uh, otherwise humbly admit I had it wrong, right? Because that, that's obnoxious as hell. Yeah. So it was the season in which you won twenty. All right. So. Maybe no correlation between, you know, or maybe Baylor is not so absolutely directly involved in trashing his arm. And like I said, like with Joe Borowski, even after he blew out his arm, Lieber got surgery and he had a few more good years. So tip of the cap to go number, uh, what, 32, 24.2 career war. He'd thrown 29 pitches before the delay. Okay. Yeah, but so what? I'm sure it's tempting to like, oh, this sucks. He's pitching great, and we're gonna say, yeah, well, yeah. And and, and, ninety minutes, he doesn't go back in. Anyway, in fairness, in fairness, it didn't hurt him that season. But also, in fairness, not pulling Mark Pryor and you know, whatever didn't because he was Pryor was awesome down the stretch in all three. But I don't know. Still, I'm. I just want to make sure I gave John Lieber's due in any event because I feel we gave him short shrift in 01 and 2000. So. Yeah, we did. Fast worker. The, one, the, one of very few recent 20-game winners for the Cubs. Oh, but we, we've we mentioned that. Right. Yes. Remember, the rule of thumb they is all you come win back. 20 games for the Cubs and they all come back. And with the exception of like Maddox and Fergie, actually, Lieber was the only one that really sucked when he came back. So no. He wasn't. Jake um, was yeah, Jake too. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Because it's only it's Fergie, Greggy, Lieber, Rick Russell, and Russell, Russell, yep. and Jake. That's it. Yeah, you're right. And and they were all pretty effective to some degree, except for Lieber and Jake. So and you kind of wonder, given the way baseball's going, if they're ever going to have another one. <laughs> well, no, you're right. Actually, hundred percent. Jake's the last one. Now, do you think now John Lester won 19 games in 2016? Do you think um, if he had won 20, <clears throat> that he would be on this Cubs team? Oh, <laughs> you'd have to come no, back. You gotta come back. The, I'm retired. Oh, no, you that's gotta come back rule. and pitch for us. It's in the bylaws. Right. Right. Yeah. 
That's a good call. Maybe he didn't win the 20th on purpose. Kevin Tappany also won 19 games in 1998, so we could have been uh, treated to uh, his return. I, but, well, now we'll never know. We'll never, didn't He's probably throwing as hard now as he was then. Yeah, and also 2002, first time since 1996, I believe, that Kevin Tappany. So Kevin Tappany, Arnie Harris, no longer with the 2002. Oh, terrible. I'm done with useless trivia. I think we covered it. Yeah, yeah we gave the 2002 Cubs far more than time. Than Way more. I'm good. All right. Well, we'll spin the wheel again next time and come up with something else. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Andy. Many of us have herpes.